Better is not always easier. I seriously am making that t-shirt. And we're selling those. Better is not always easier. Sometimes we confuse the two, don't we? I don't know if you remember that classic illustration Ray Comfort, the Kiwi evangelist Ray Comfort uses about being on a flight, on a, on a flight. I don't know if you've heard this, but I'll, I'll share it this morning. Uh, again, better is not always easier. Imagine being on a flight and um, the flight attendant you know, gets on uh, the, uh, you know, the system there and says, uh, just want to let you know, everyone, we've got uh, something to offer you to make your, your flight more comfortable this afternoon as we're headed into Los Angeles or wherever we're flying, right? And so we've got something to enhance the, the comfort of your journey. And so we have parachutes. And so we're going to be going down the center aisle, and we're just going to offer you this parachute. If you put this parachute on, it will make your life more pleasant. It will be very enjoyable. It's going to make this flight go very smoothly. And we just want you to have a great time flying United Airlines, okay? And so then they go down, and they pass out the parachutes. And so, of course, you know, you, get the, you want your flight to be comfortable. Amen, right? So and just imagine you're not wearing a mask on it, right? Okay, so, and then, uh, and, and, you put, and you put your parachute on, right? So you put your parachute on, and you're sitting there in your seat, and the seats are less than spectacular as it, as, it, you know, as it begins with. So there you are, and you're sitting there, and you're kind of hunched over in the seat. You can't quite sit just right. you got this parachute on, you know, and you're sitting there, and, it's, and you're, very, you're not comfortable. You're very uncomfortable. And, you know, 10 minutes goes by, 20, 30 minutes goes by. You try this thing for a solid 45 minutes, and what do you think? Forget this. No way. You hit the button. Take this thing back. This is not making my flight more comfortable, right? False advertising. Better is not always easier. Now imagine that same flight, slightly different circumstance. Flight attendant gets on the, the intercom and says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I've just gotten word from the pilot that we have unfortunately sustained some damage to our engines. And so we are going to have to attempt a crash landing. In fact, we may not even be able to land. Uh, so, but we do have these parachutes. And so we're going to be going down the center aisle distributing parachutes, right? So the attendants go down the aisle and now they're distributing parachutes. What do you do? You take that parachute. You put that parachute on. Are you worried about how comfortable you are in that seat? No. You are not complaining about how comfortable you are in that seat. You are ready to to use that parachute to survive that flight. So you will endure the difficulty. Some people today are selling a version of Christianity that sounds like this. Put your faith in Jesus He will make your life easier. If you put your faith in Jesus, you will be more comfortable. If you put your faith in Jesus, your problems will go away. That is false advertising. And it's unfortunately in a in a culture, a cultural situation where we love comfort, and this is coming from someone who spent the last two weeks in, in the South, right, to, to escape the cold, okay? So I confess that, okay? There we are, right? But the fact is, we live in a culture that loves comfort. And we love to hear a message, right, a Christianity that's centered on comfort. But when, when our God is comfort and happiness, we won't follow Jesus when it gets hard. We, won't, we will not heed the call to endurance. Now, the question is not, will we need to endure? We know we'll need to endure. The question is, why should we endure? 
And as we've walked through this particular section of Revelation where Jesus is giving the specific exhortations to these churches, right, in Asia Minor, as he's doing that, we're seeing that those words are relevant to really all churches throughout all time. There will always be a need to endure. Sometimes it's going to be harder for you than others. But if you've bought the lie that Jesus exists to make your flight more comfortable, you will not want to endure. You will be irritated and frustrated with the life of Christianity, the life that God calls you to, the life of faith. Because when we believe Jesus and what he's called us to, it means sometimes we put ourselves in difficult situations. Sometimes we do the harder things because better isn't always easier. And so this morning, we find in the letter to Philadelphia, we find an exhortation to endurance, a call to endure. So you've got your Bibles there. What we want to do as we get into these verses is we want to think about what does it look like for you and me to endure as believers in Jesus today? We're going to pick it up there in verse 7, right? And so as we continue on, there uh, John writes, he's giving us there the words that came to him from the Spirit, from Jesus, write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one will opens. Okay, so if you pause there, uh, remember that, that in the beginning of all these letters, Jesus has highlighted one aspect of his character or a few aspects of his character that come from the vision that he gave John of himself in chapter 1. So this goes back to chapter 1 verse 5. Just so we're clear though, it's not that Philadelphia. I just want to show you on the map so that you know uh, which Philadelphia we're talking about. So remember, John is in exile on the island of Patmos. Why is he exiled? Because of his work spreading the gospel. The local Roman government didn't like it, and so they were able to actually send him in exile to this uh, small island there. And so uh, he writes now to these churches, and so here we've kind of covered them in order. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, last week Sardis, and then here Philadelphia. Uh, Next week, the last church, uh, uh, two weeks actually, the last church with Laodicea. So this week, Philadelphia, um, this is a smaller town, smaller community, similar struggles though to the other towns that we've seen, and so we'll unpack this uh, you know, this section of, um, of Revelation. Watch verse 7 again. So what does is, what is the church at Philadelphia need to know? Well, Jesus identifies himself here as the Holy One, the True One, and the One who has the key of David. Well, what's he talking about? When he says he's the Holy One, he's talking about the fact that he is set apart. He's different than creation. He is perfect. He is exalted in that sense, that, that there is no comparison to him. He's also the True One, the one who is absolutely faithful and trustworthy in all things. But maybe the thing that's most interesting in this description of Jesus that he gives of himself here is he says he's the one who has the key of David. What was he talking about, the key of David? This might be an allusion to Isaiah chapter 22, but one way or another, he's talking about the fact that he is the fulfillment of the messianic promises made in the Old Testament about David. So you might remember that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised David, like David versus Goliath David, right? That David. He promised that David as he was king of Israel that one of his descendants would actually reign forever, that he would establish that that eternal dynasty, and through that dynasty would come blessing, right, to his people. And so there's this expectation of the one, the son of David, the descendant of David, who will bring the blessings. And that son of David, in, in one sense, figuratively speaking, will have the key, The key to open the door to what? To peace, to prosperity, to fulfillment, to satisfaction, right? To joy forever. 
And so the one who has the key of David, Jesus says, I'm the one. I'm the one who has the key of David. I am the son of David. And he says, I'm the one who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. He's the boss. It's his universe. And we'll see here when he talks about opening, he's talking about opening the door, the way into his kingdom, the way to receive blessing and peace and satisfaction and forgiveness forever. The things that we all want and are chasing. He says, I can give you those. Why? Because I'm the promised son of David. I am the Messiah. But he also is the one that closes. And when Jesus shuts a door, it stays shut. It's talking about his authority. Other roads are not going to work. It's his way or no way. And so there's a, an affirmation here of Jesus' authority. His, well, the fact is, his provision for us in salvation is based on his authority. Why? Well, we learn in verse 7 that Jesus holds the keys to salvation and judgment. Jesus holds the keys to salvation and judgment. Let's think about how this applies to us. First of all, he's holy, right? He's set apart. He's perfect. He's righteous. I think for many people in our culture, they, they view Jesus as just above average. Like Jesus is above average. Like he was a great teacher and all that. And, you know, just don't get too worked up about him. But, you know, he, so, okay, sure. You're into the Jesus thing. Fine. Go ahead. But the average American does not believe that Jesus is the perfect son of God. The eternal second person of the Trinity who took on flesh for us. The one who stands above creation, who was involved in the act of creation, and who was sovereign over creation. The Holy One, the truly Holy One. And you know what? He's the Holy One who calls us to be dedicated to His kingdom and to His cause. You're not going to do that for somebody who's slightly above average. But you would do that for the second person of the Trinity. Jesus comforts the church at Philadelphia. He says, I I am the Holy One. Of course, He says also, I'm true. He's faithful. He's reliable. This is so important because, again, in our culture, there's an assumption that the Word of God is one opinion among many. But if the church is going to endure, whether it's the church at Philadelphia 2,000 years ago, whether it's the church at Green Pond, or a church in Indonesia, or wherever it might be, the church in Ukraine, if, if the church is going to endure, we will endure because Jesus is the true one, and he is absolutely trustworthy. He is the reliable one. So he says things that, that frankly, we struggle to believe. Remember in Romans eight twenty eight, Jesus says through his spirit to the apostle Paul, he says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Jesus said that. Is he true? Was he reliable? Do we believe that when we're going through a thing amongst the all things, right? We're going to go through a thing that doesn't feel like it's working for good. That sickness. That political challenge. The turbulence in the relationship. Remember, better better isn't always easier. And Jesus says, I am true. He doesn't even say I'm truthful. It's a different wording. He says, I am true. Like You can trust me. You can rely on me. Again, if we're going to be uh, encouraged to endure this morning, we're going to be encouraged to endure because Jesus is the Holy One, the true one, and because he has the authority. He holds the key. You know, um, in many cases, 
So much of our lives are, are wrapped around who has authority over us. Whether it's the government, we've, you know, we've endured a lot of that. You know, part of the last two years makes, has made the church in America very uncomfortable is because the government has started saying things about the church. I don't like it when the government talks about church. Okay? Governor Murphy, sorry, bro. This is not your thing. Okay? That's what I love about these United States. It's like we're built on this idea that the government and the church should not be, you know, messing with each other. And that's a good, I'm making that t-shirt too. The government and the church should not be messing with each other, right? But like that, that's a good, this is, this is a good thing, I think. But when the authority starts to say, oh yeah, you know what, you, this is what you can do and can't do in church. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. You don't hold the key, do you? I mean, and I, we want to, we want to obey the government as much as we can. Absolutely. But let's just be really clear about who has the key of David. Okay. And it's not the king, and it's not the emperor, and it's not the president, and it's not the governor, and it's not an elected body of officials. It's Jesus. And what does he do with that authority? He opens the door of salvation. He provides the way into his kingdom. More on that in a minute. He also closes the door, meaning he brings judgment to those who reject him. You see, Jesus holding the keys, right? He holds the keys to salvation and judgment. That means that he is reliable. He's the one that we should be going to. So that's who he is in verse 7. And he says to the church at Philadelphia, this is who I am, realizing that they live in a circumstance where the culture around them does not agree. And we are in that same set of circumstances today. The culture around us does not agree that Jesus is the Holy One, that he's true, and that he has the key of David. So we have to endure because it's a difficult circumstance. The culture doesn't believe what, what is true and what is right. So watch verse 8. He goes on. What does Jesus say to the church in Philadelphia and to us? He says, I know your works. This is a positive. I'm aware of your effort, right? Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. But let's just unpack this verse quickly here so we can make sure to have a good idea of what he's saying. The open door here, he's talking about, again, entrance into his kingdom. So Jesus says, I've opened the door. He's got the key of David. He opens the door. You want blessing? Here you go. You want peace? Got it. You want uh, satisfaction forever? I can provide that. Forgiveness for your sins? Absolutely. It's all related. Uh, Acceptance and belonging. More on that later. Yes, here you go. So he says, I have opened that door. And then he says, no one can close that door. But then he says, because you have little power. The church of Philadelphia... 2,000 years ago, wasn't much. This is an allusion to their, to their status in society. They didn't have a lot of leverage with the local town council. They didn't have a lot of sway in the decision-making of what was going on. They had little power. So why is the, how is the door staying open? Because someone has a lot of power. And it's not the Roman government. This is the main disconnect. It's not the local town. It's not the Roman government that has the power. Jesus says, you may have but little power, but I'm holding the door open. I'm the one who guarantees your salvation. This open door, it's not so much about an invitation to believe. Of course, that's obviously included in it. It's really more about the fact that Jesus says, I guarantee that if you trust me, you're in the kingdom. Nobody's shutting this door, he says. I'm holding it open. Now, what's the evidence that they have walked through the door? What's the evidence that it's all real? Well, the evidence is that they have persevered. They have endured. He says, yet you have, even though you don't have a lot of standing in society, you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. It's so important that we talk about 
why we do what we do, because our motivation truly does matter. It's important that we think about that. But the fact is, we cannot separate faith in Jesus from a transformed life. And here, what what, uh, Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia is, I know your works, and I know you don't have a lot of power in, in the culture, but the door stays open. Nobody's kicking you out of my kingdom. Nobody's shutting that door. And I can see that you are a, a part of my kingdom because you have kept my word. You have obeyed. You have not denied my name. See, they had an opportunity to choose a harder road or an easier road because the culture around them was pressuring them to not say, you know, quit, quit saying that Jesus is the Messiah and he's the only way. Stop saying that. Just let everybody believe what they want to believe. Why not just worship along with us, whether it was at the synagogue where they wouldn't teach that Jesus is the Messiah, or whether it was at the local you know, worship spot for their local deity, the God or goddess. Just go along with it, man. Just get along with your neighbors. Better isn't always easier. And Jesus affirms the church at Philadelphia because they had done the harder thing, which means they had not denied his name. They had obeyed him, refusing to worship the idols of their, their neighbors, refusing to participate in the false worship of the community around them, even though it meant that they were looked down upon, they lost more social standing, maybe worse. Jesus says, you're sticking it out. Good job. Keep up the good work. Keep enduring. The door is open because Jesus is the one assuring them of their salvation. And they can be confident because their lives bear evidence of that transformation. But then he gives them a further encouragement in verse 9. He says, note this. As far as the opposition goes, note this. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews but are not, but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Okay, so what's the circumstance? Verse 9, there, were, there was a, a group of Jews in this ancient city of Philadelphia. They had rejected the claim that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus says they are not true Israel. They are not true Jews. They say they're the true Israel, but they're not because they reject the son of David. All right, so Jesus makes that very clear. And then he has called them several times now in Revelation in different towns. He's called them the synagogue of Satan. So they, that wasn't the name on the front. Okay? They, 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 weren't, they didn't advertise it like that. But Jesus said that's what they actually are. They're saying we're the synagogue, the true worshipers of God. And Jesus says they are not. That is satanic. We've said it a couple times, but it's worth mentioning. Satan is not going to package his material in satanic packaging, right? He's going to put a Disney logo on there, and he's going to deliver that baby right to you. Okay, so you just got to be careful, right? So anyway, so the synagogue of Satan here, uh, Jesus says, "I'm I'm going to judge them. Now, what is he talking about when they're going to bow down? Either, now there's two options here, and it's not totally clear which is the best, so I'll give you both. Either it's a reference to the fact that one day, uh, Jews will, in mass, Jews will come to faith in Jesus. And they will bow down and worship Jesus. And that will be an evidence of the truthfulness of the gospel, that he is the one who has the key of David. And so he's going to do a work in that community in the long run. And so one day that, that day will happen. And so he says, you can look forward to that day. Or it could be the fact that he will judge unbelievers. And when he judges unbelievers, they will bow in submission to Jesus, not in worship, but because they have been conquered. And they will bow as they are judged, and that will vindicate the church. Either way, Jesus is vindicated by redeeming from the lost or by judging the lost. And both of those things are true. And it's not totally clear here which is the best option, okay? But here's the, here's the reality. He's encouraging them to endure because one day he'll sort it all out. You might want to write that down. 
One day he'll sort it all out. People are like, Pastor Ryan, what do we do with Ukraine? What do we do? How do we handle this with the Russian and the, all the stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. I know the one who does. And one day he'll sort it all out. So what should we do in the meantime? We endure. We endure by faith. Jesus, he's holding that door open. Nobody's shutting that door. So we endure. Pastor Ryan, I'm going through this. I got this diagnosis from the doctor. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know either. What should we do? We should endure. We press on in faith. Pastor Ryan, I'm going through this in my family. I, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what's going to, what they're going to say. I don't know what they're going to do. What should I do? I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know we should endure. We walk with faith-driven obedience, right? This transformation. He'll sort it all out. Watch verse 10. He goes on. He says, Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Okay? You need to know a couple things about verse 10. First of all, Jesus is not conditioning their salvation on their obedience. He's saying, I'm sa- everybody who I've called, I'm saving. So don't worry about that. But he is saying that your, your endurance is testimony to the fact that you have believed. So this is a good thing. Keep believing. You also need to know that there is an hour of testing coming. This is actually referring to judgment, okay? And what he says, when he uses the phrase uh, at the end of verse 10, those who live on the earth, every time that phrase is used in the book of Revelation, it's a reference to unbelievers, okay? Jesus is talking here about the coming judgment of the lost at the end, the final judgment, like that's it. And what is he saying to the church? He's saying, you can endure today because when I come to judge, you're spared. You're protected. You are forgiven. How is the church at Philadelphia spared the judgment of God? It's because Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. It's because of his work on the cross that they are protected from God's judgment. Okay? Some people think this is a reference to Jesus removing the church uh, from a, a time of tribulation. I don't think that's what he's talking about at all. It doesn't fit the language. doesn't fit the context for Philadelphia here. So probably what he's saying is, I'm going to protect you from judgment in the end. Therefore, what? Endure. He's, ba- he's actually doing the opposite. He's actually preparing the church to endure tribulation. It's going to be hard, but don't worry. You will be protected from the judgment of God. And so then he comforts them with these words. I am coming soon. So hold on, right? Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Don't let go. What do we learn from this passage? We learn to keep on enduring. Why? Because Jesus keeps redeeming. Keep on enduring. Jesus keeps redeeming. You see, there's a negative and a positive connotation to endurance, the word endurance, right? If I, talk, if I tell you you need to endure something, sometimes we go to the negative side of that, you know, that, that word, endurance. And we might think about having to endure my boss. Can I get an amen? Not too loudly, some of us, right? I have to endure my boss. I have to endure this semester, this class at school, right? You know, I had to take that class. Oh, man, I had to endure this semester. I have to endure the winter. You can amen that one nice and loud, right? Yeah. I have to endure this sermon. I don't, no, no, don't. No, no. Yeah, it's, 
It has a negative connotation because sometimes things are hard. But better isn't always easier. Sometimes endurance has a positive connotation. Like when you think about a long-distance runner finishing that race. And you talk about their endurance. And there, it's, it's, it's difficult, but it's not a chore. And it's hard, but it's not a burden. They endure because they know what they're running for. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Your, the crown is the reward. And what he's saying is he's saying, when it comes to the daily life of the church, we don't all know who are, who are believers. We know who claim to be believers, and we're going to hold you to that claim as best we can, but we don't know who's a believer and who's not. Like Deep down, we can't always tell the difference. Sometimes it's hard to tell. So he says, hey, guess what? Hold on. Hold on to that gospel. Hold on to the truth of who I am and persevere so that when it comes to the end of the race, you are still running and you endure and you are protected from the judgment of God and you walk in through that open door into the kingdom and you enjoy the blessings, the rewards, the peace, the prosperity, all of it. That's why we endure. Keep on enduring because Jesus keeps redeeming. He's the one it, it's, it's his faithfulness that motivates us to move, to press on in endurance. If I said to you this morning, listen, things are going to get really hard and you're going to have to try to endure and it's up to you. And if you can endure, then maybe you'll make it. But I don't know for sure. So try really hard, right? That would not be an encouragement to you. But the message is different. It's still a call to endure. It's still a call that, that's difficult. You're going to face challenging times, but you've got to endure. Why? Because he's holding that door open. And while you have little power, he has great power. He's, he has the key of David. So keep on enduring. Push forward in faith. The temptation will be to deny Christ either in name or in practice. So in our culture, it's not so much, the, the, the pressure is not so much to deny Christ in name. Like nobody's saying, quit saying you're a Christian. They want to edit what Christianity is. Just change, how, change what you believe about, well, everything really. About the exclusivity of the gospel, that people are only forgiven by faith in Jesus about the nature of reality and, and what is, you know, gender and all of that. Uh, uh, change what you believe about what's permissible in life when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to marriage and parenting and all of that. Change your attitude towards money. You just edit the Christianity to be a little bit more, you know, palatable to the culture. Our temptation will be to deny Christ, not so much in name, but in practice and in belief. And so Jesus says, you've done well so far, Philadelphia, but keep up the good work. Endure. Press on. The door of salvation is open because no one can shut it. And that message of assurance should be a motivator for you and I to keep walking by faith. So you need to ask the question right now, what are the circumstances that are going to cause me to want to give up? And maybe it's a physical thing, a physical illness. Maybe it's a financial circumstance. Maybe it's a political thing that could be happening that will cause you to want to bail out. Maybe it's a situation with your kids, or with your parents, or in your marriage. You're going, I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. I'm not doing the Jesus thing anymore. I know what he calls me to, 
And better is not always easier. And I know he calls me to this, but frankly, I'm done. I'm out. And wherever you're going to face that temptation, that's where you need need to heed these words. And you need to say, you know what? Jesus is the holy one and the true one, and he is holding that door open. He has guaranteed the work of the gospel. Why would I give up? Why would I bail out? Why would I turn my back on him? You know, it's funny. Jesus' sovereignty, even amidst our sufferings, is meant to be a great encouragement to us. That the truth, sometimes we, we treat it like it's stale, like, oh, Jesus is sovereign. No, this is, meant to be, this is meant to be a huge comfort to you and I. My friend John Calvin said it this way, talking about that, God's will in our difficulties, the fact that God has a purpose in our suffering, this is what Calvin said, it's so helpful, He said, amid the pungency of grief, we don't want to grieve. Among the groans and tears, we don't want to groan. We don't want to cry. This thought will necessarily suggest itself and incline us cheerfully to endure the things for which we are so afflicted. What truth? The truth of Jesus' sovereignty. The fact is we can look around at the hardship and we can say with confidence, Jesus has a plan. He is at work. I may not understand it all. I may not be able to connect all the dots for you. I may not not be able to connect any of the dots. But I know this. He's the one who has the key. And so I'm going to move forward in faith. Philadelphia has little power. Kind of like Green Pond. If I wrote a letter to the governor to convince him to do X, Y, or Z. And I just, I said, you know what? I'm going to send the governor this letter from Green Pond Bible Chapel. <laughs> Period. Boom. Right? He wouldn't even read it. <laughs> it would not make it through the filter. Right? No. And sometimes it's easy. I mean, sometimes it's easy as a church. You know, you kind of get wrapped up. Oh, with celebrities and like well-known people and churches being well-known, all that. Listen, our confidence moving forward is not based on our social standing. We have but little power. And guess what? We're okay. Because Jesus has unlimited power. To do what? To deliver in the end. To actually guide us as we endure. In fact, our endurance, from one angle, it's his work. He is completing the work that he started in us. And so there's one sense in which you could say, yes, I am called to endure, so I endure. But in reality, I cannot endure unless Jesus enables me to endure. Who's holding that door open? Yeah, it's not us. So enduring, it signifies not only that we've trusted in Christ, but also that we belong to him. And that's really where this section, this letter to Philadelphia closes up. Watch verses 12 and 13. Again, the fact is we're called to endure, keep on enduring, because Jesus keeps redeeming. But notice the, the, the carrot here. He says, the one who conquers, who overcomes the temptation to Baal, right? The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. What? He'll make you a pillar? And What? This is a metaphor. A metaphor for what? Permanence. Permanent what? Permanent dwelling in the presence of God. Permanent membership, right? Permanent access. No one can take that away. He goes on. It gets better. So again, uh, 
the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. This is the work of God, and it is irrevocable. You can't mess it up. Nobody else can take it away from you. If you're struggling this morning with that temptation to bail, you need to know that, it is, that your confidence must be based on the fact that it's God's work that secures your salvation. That's why you can move forward in weakness and in brokenness, and even in the midst of great you know, suffering. You can move forward because he will make you the, the pillar in his temple, and he will make you to never go out again. He goes on in verse 12, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. What does that mean? Belonging. You belong to God. You belong in the new Jerusalem. You you have access. You have intimate access. That new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Those are sneak previews of what's coming at the end of the book of Revelation. I cannot wait to get there. It's like the best part, but we're going to get there, right? But here's the reality. He tells us even at the beginning, he says, It's going to be so great. It's not great right now, Church of Philadelphia. It's not easy right now. But better is not always easier. And so what he calls us to is to move forward and to overcome the temptation to bail, to overcome the temptation to give in to sin, to worship the gods of of our culture. Why? Because we belong. And no one can take that away from you. And even Jesus' new name will be written on us that intimate connection with Christ that no one can take away. King over all kings. The one who actually has that authority. So it turns out we actually do know somebody in authority. (laughs) His office is just in a different building. (laughs) Right? Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I love that refrain in every letter because it's just reminding us, listen, God knows we're all going through different stuff right now. But the message hasn't changed. Whoever you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to endure. Now, there may be some here today who are not followers of Jesus. And there's a warning here. Those who bail, those who don't endure, right? That's evidence of unbelief. That's evidence that you don't belong. So there's a warning here. We call this doctrine the perseverance of the saints. Where true believers will endure. We will. Why? Because it's God's work in us. And yet, in real time, like I said before, we don't always know who's a believer or not. We know those who claim to be, but we don't know who's the real deal. That's why in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us, as long as it's called today, we encourage each other to continue in the faith. As long as it's called today. Why? Because every day that's called today is a day filled with trouble. It's a day filled with challenges. And so every day it's called today, you and I need to be encouraged to keep on in the faith, to endure We're not the ones holding the door open. We're not the ones who shed our blood on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. What are we doing? We're just simply trying to encourage one another to to keep on, to persevere as saints. So no, no true believer can lose their salvation, but in real time and in real space, sometimes we can't tell who's who. And so in letters to the churches all over the New Testament, we have warnings. Some of you may not be the real deal. So you need to test your heart. How will you know if you are the real deal or not? You will endure. You will endure. Because those who endure belong. Those who endure belong, not because they've earned it, but because their endurance is evidence of their faith. Those who endure belong, not because they've earned it, but because their endurance is evidence of their faith. When you keep on trusting in Christ and walking by faith, not perfectly, but when you keep on that road, right, when you do that, 
there is visible testimony where you can look back and say, I can see proof that I have trusted in Christ. I, I can see that there's, there's real change in my life. For those who bail on trusting in Christ, there is no proof. And so there's a warning here to those who are associated with Jesus but haven't trusted him. And maybe you're here and frankly you're struggling and you're thinking, you know, I, I, I'm ready to pull the plug. I'm out. But you need to understand what that says about your faith. It means that your faith is non-existent. Or maybe today you hear the message of Jesus where he calls you to endure. Why? Because he's the one with the key. And instead of in despair pulling the plug on your, on your walk with Christ, maybe today is the day that you, you say, you know what? I am going to trust Christ. Sometimes it's not always clear when we look back in our lives, when did we actually believe? And great pastoral counsel is not always to look back, but to look for fruit today. I believe I, I trusted in Christ at this time in the past. Awesome. Is there evidence today that you've trusted Christ? It's not meant to be a frustration to us, or it's not meant to cause you to spiritual anxiety. This is actually meant to comfort you because Jesus is the one who has the authority. He's the one who's providing our salvation. And so those who endure belong. We actually get belonging. The the thing that we want so desperately and we seek often in dead-end streets. What does that look like when we seek to belong in places where they can't provide what we actually want? Well, we might seek belonging through performance. I'm accepted because I've done well. You ever got caught in that trap? The problem with being accepted because you do well is that you don't always do well, which means you're not always what? Accepted. There's no belonging there. Maybe you seek belonging through popularity. I'm accepted because the right people like me, but they're fickle. You got to work hard for people to keep liking you. Or maybe it's the right number of people like me with social media. I've got the right number of people who like me, right? Just do something stupid. They'll stop liking you. (laughs) Doesn't take long. Maybe you're seeking belonging through appearance. I'm accepted because I look good or because I'm tall. Nope. Nope. That ain't happening, right? But sometimes that's the message of our culture is if you look good, then you're accepted, Maybe you seek belonging through power. I'm accepted because I have the right to be. I've got the money to be accepted. I've got the position to be accepted. I've got the the educational degrees to be accepted. That's why I belong. Do you know why you and I belong in the kingdom of God? It's because Jesus has the key. Because as the son of David, he died on the cross for our sins. And he rose from the dead. He has power over death. And he opens that door to his kingdom. And he says, let's go. He says, come home. And he will make us a pillar in his temple. There's no temple in the New Jerusalem. It's a metaphor. You belong. He says, I'm going to write my name on you. Write the name of the New Jerusalem. I'm going to give you a new social security number. Right? The whole thing. You belong. Your rights to the kingdom cannot be revoked because they are given to us by the king himself. There is no higher authority. You know who needs to hear that? The church of Philadelphia that has not a great social standing and they're called to endure difficult times in the moment. Better is not easier. And so we hold on to what we have. We endure. 
I know, and probably what's going to happen, you know, we don't know for sure, but probably is the church is going to continue to lose face with our culture. That's probably the way it's going to keep going, which means better is not easier. It's going to keep getting harder. But the government's not holding open the door to the kingdom. And Pastor Ryan's not holding open the door to, the, to get into the kingdom. No, it's Jesus who's holding open that door. And Jesus says, keep on enduring. I'm still redeeming. I am still at work. In Jesus, we belong. You know, in Solomon's temple, there were these two pillars at the front of the temple to hold open the, the portico. And um, they named the pillars. Do you remember this? It's 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 21. Okay? It's one of my favorite parts of our series through Kings. But these two pillars have names. Yaquin and Boaz. Okay? Yaquin and Boaz. Who cares, <laughs> right? The pillars have names. The one pillar's name, Yaquin, probably means, I'm not 100% sure, but probably it means uh, established. Established. Boaz, probably related to the word for strength. And so some people think that the, the pillars go together. Established in strength. Like the builders did a good job. No, that's not the point, right? What are those, what are those pillars a testimony to? They're a testimony to the one who has established that temple and who has the strength to keep it standing. Those pillars are a testimony to God. Yaquin and Boaz. Did you know, brothers and sisters, that you and I are called to have that same function? That as pillars in the new Jerusalem of that temple, what will we say? We will not say, glory be to us. We will not be saying, glory be to Greenpond Bible Chapel we'll be saying, look at who established us and look at whose strength has brought us home. It's his. Keep on enduring. Why? Because Jesus keeps redeeming. Would you pray with me? We'll ask him to help us. Lord, we pause again this morning and we are facing a variety of challenges in our lives. And Lord, we confess that you know with infinite certainty and uh, detail, you know what every person here is going through. And Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us to believe your word. Jesus, help us to believe that you are the Holy One, that you are true, and you are the one with the key of David. May we be encouraged by your sovereignty this morning to know that you are holding open that door and no one, no earthly power, no government, no movement can shut it. And Lord, may, may your character motivate us to endure, to hold on to what we have. Lord, we know we're headed to a crown. We're headed to acceptance. We're headed to certain citizenship in your kingdom forever. But Lord, help us in the meantime. As sometimes we, we struggle, Lord, we confess. The temptation some days is strong to give up, to throw in the towel to do what's easier. Lord, convince us of your greatness this morning. Motivate us to move forward by faith. And Lord, in all of this, we know that we don't earn our salvation. We're not the ones keeping the door open, Lord. And we did not die on the cross. It's all because of you and what you have done and what you are doing. But Lord, we need help today to endure by faith. We need help as saints to persevere. And so we ask for that help. We ask for you to be glorified. 
Lord, help us to keep our eyes on those things that are eternal, which are invisible at the moment, but they will not always be. May we see what matters most. Lord, help us to persevere for your glory, we ask. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, the Holy One, the one who is true, the one who has the key of David. Amen.